Uh, turn, if you will, to Galatians. I just want to set context for you. Uh, if we pick up verse or chapter 5, we're going to be looking and focusing in on chapter 6. But just to get a flow of what he's dealing with with these people, he said, uh, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Well, you think, what in the world is this doing in the Bible? Remember, this he's taking on the uh, influence of Judaizers, Jews who insisted on circumcision to be in the covenant with of, of Abraham. Paul is evangelizing the Gentiles as a whole. The Jewish people rejected his ministry, so he turns to the Gentiles. These Gentiles are being saved, and right on his heels coming into these churches would be the Judaizers who always taught legalism, which says you can earn merit with God by things you do for him. And not just merit, but maybe helping yourself. You might not even be saved if you don't do this one. And so this heresy kept tracking the churches, and Paul's always refuting it. Christ alone, the cross alone saves, not the cross plus circumcision, the cross plus giving, plus all the other stuff we can plus. So he's wanting to make that clear. Then he says, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision, that is, for righteousness, that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. If you go back under law, works, uh, after professing faith, you've fallen from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. The only thing that counts in the Christian life, I'm trusting God, I'm walking by faith, and I'm manifesting that faith by love. That's all that matters. That, that, and so two things we could ask of each other. Are you walking by faith, and are you demonstrating that by love? Faith, love. Now, he goes on, he talks about the power of the Spirit in verse 16. Walk by the Spirit, by means of the Spirit, and you will not gratify the strong desires of the flesh. The flesh has three aspects. It starts out with moods, strong moods. I'm in, you get yourself, you know, you go to certain places to get in the mood. Well, the flesh works that way on us. You'd be doing fine, and all of a sudden you get into a mood, a negative mood, sensuous mood, whatever. And then it triggers strong desires. And here he's using that word. And then it results in wrong deeds. So you got to catch yourself. Am I in the mood to sin? I'm in the mood for sin. It has set you up. And then it triggers these strong desires. Results. But he says here that those who walk by means of the Spirit 
will not fulfill the strong desires of the flesh because the flesh wars against the spirit. Then he names all the works of the uh, uh, flesh. In verse 19, works of the flesh are evident sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who practice such things, if this is your practice, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Anyone could fall into any of these sins, but if it's your lifestyle, then you need to be warned. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now notice this. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions, there's our word mood, and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us, I like the more literal, let us take each step in the Spirit or keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, trespass is the real word. They're two different words. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness while you're stoning him. Is that what your says? You who are spiritual should judge him. What should you do? Restore him in a mean spirit. And let, let me tell you, if you're growing around legalism, it's going to be mean, judgmental, and watch out. You don't want to fail in front of a bunch of legalists because they're going to pounce on you like a vulture. It's scary to go to churches that are legalistic. You're not allowed many mistakes. Is it safe for you to fail and be a part of this church? Or do we shoot the wounded? Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. And that's what we're going to be looking at today and focus on. And so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Isn't that interesting? Verse 2, we're to bear one another's load, and here he says, each must bear his own load. Which is which? What do we do? I thought you're supposed to help me carry my load. Here he tells me, just you carry it. Verse 2, he said, if your brother's got a burden, 
help him carry it. We're trying to figure out if they're contradicting what's going on. And so I'm going to look at three things about the flow of the passage. And that is, number one, the power for helping others. Is there any power to make you get out of your self-centered world and help anybody? Talked with some believers the other day. Had a man tell me, if I was to meet a man today like the kind of man I was when God saved me, I couldn't stand him. I was so selfish, so self-centered, I, I repudiate what I was. It's just what it was. It was a humble self-disclosure. Didn't need to tell us that. We already knew it, but for him to own it was something special. Two, the people who need our help. Where's the power to help people? And then who are the people we ought to help? Uh, what category should we be focusing on? And then I would end with the person who brings the most help. The person who brings the most help. Where is the power for helping other people? He's talking here, instead of being law, legislation, rule-driven, we're a people controlled by the Holy Spirit who is a divine comforter, and he produces this product called fruit, which is gentle, which is good. Love, joy, peace is kind of ours. That's, you know, I, I get to enjoy that. But how do you treat others? Are you gentle? Are you good? Are you kind? Are you self-controlled towards others and even yourself? And so he's saying that rather than to be legalistic people, going around and asking, have you been circumcised? I, I see your fault because God's made me an inspector of all the saints. That's my job. And uh, I think sometimes people think I know everything going on in this church. Are you kidding? I don't know what you did Monday through Saturday. That's what scares me to show up with you. I have no idea. I don't know your burdens, your temptations. Your sins don't need to know unless we can help. But the power of the Christian life is the Holy Spirit energizing. And when he's working in a life, just the opposite of legalism, it's the power that energizes us to be caring for one another just like God cares for us. So that you're really in a uh, team spirit uh, we're for each other. If we're, we're in the trouble, if the ox is in the ditch, and in this case it may be the brother or sister, we're here to help them. A famous line that is told of William Booth, the founder of Salvation Army, is he, there was the convention of Salvation Army. Booth could not make it, and he sent a telegram to the convention with one word, others. That's all he said others. And the spirit-filled life is never a self-centered life. It is never uh, isolated from people or problems. Some people want to move away from problems. I know people that cannot stand to go to a hospital. 
and they're not worth spit if you're sick. They, they, they just can't show up. My brother Paul can't go to a hospital the side of blood, and, and that six-footer just nearly faints. My, I got a son-in-law that's an RN. Can't hardly stand, you know, if his wife's sick or something. He, man, he, he just can't hardly take it, and yet he's an RN. Figure that one out. My daughter, the other day, as an RN, had taken care of a man in his late 70s, suffering from prostate cancer, has other physical needs, comes into the clinic wearing a diaper. Uh, he is sick. He, he's terribly sick. While she tries to help him, he defecates on her. She had to wear complete garbs. She was covered in this man's waist. Six doc doctors commended her, but not one doctor touched the man. Don't give us the patient until you've cleaned him up. And nobody wanted to clean him up. She asked me, should I have cleaned him up? Yeah. You did the right thing. said the man could not look at her until she got him on an IV and got him in a bed and has changed his diaper, had washed down his body, had uh, uh, sanitized him. He said, finally, the humiliated man looked up as to say thanks as she patted his cheek and said, you're going to be okay. Do you run? Or do you get involved? Are we the good Samaritan or the Levite and the priest too busy being religious to get involved? We just came from Jerusalem. We just came from temple. We don't have time to be picking up people beat up on the roadside. So we find the power of the new love, of the new command that Christ gives us, is that we're willing to get involved. Some cases we can't help. I couldn't have helped that man. I wouldn't have known where to start. But there's somebody God will put in your life that he's equipped and made you just the person to help them. You, just the person. Uh, let's look at some of the people that we can help. Look at verse uh, 1. Brothers, so he's talking about family trouble. If anyone is caught, in any trespass, that's the word. And trespass is a word, parapatoma, and it literally means to just fall down alongside the road. It's, it means to make a misstep. It doesn't seem to be something intentional. I'm planning a life of sin. I, I'm going to rebel. It seems to be the picture of a misstep. And William Barclay said, life is walking up a slippery slope of which any one of us can trip any moment. And it's the idea that this brother has fallen into a sin. They, they, it, they, they regret it. They hadn't planned it. Well, they, they just did it. It happened. 
You've never done anything like that, I'm sure. But many have. See, I'm in a vocation that one misstep, I lose my whole career. I can't pastor anymore. Just one misstep. Incredible pressure. I felt it ever since I was a kid preacher. One misstep. One night with one girl, and I can't preach anymore. That's what I grew up believing. A lot of pressure. A lot of pressure. And here he says, if a brother makes this misstep, and he's just kind of overwhelmed, you who are spiritual, and I was playing on it, how do you respond? Do you, uh, what, what would you say? They did it. It's been done. Now what are we going to do? He said, those of you that are spiritual, and he's been talking all the way through Galatians, you walk in the Spirit, you follow the steps of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit won't lead you to ignore them, to judge them, to write them off. No, he called you, not the pastor, you. A believer. Children of God, we're spirit people, aren't we? You're either in the flesh or in the spirit. Romans 8. You're in only one or two spheres. And he said, those who are being animated by the Holy Spirit and living out their lives in step, believe it or not, the spirit will lead you to people that have sinned, people who have slipped, and he'll use you to restore them. The word restore here is a surgical term. It meant to set a bone. It takes real skill. It was used of mending nets for the disciples. Take something that's lost its function that can be corrected, the, the bone that's broken, the net that's torn. Uh, somebody needs to set the bone. And, and that's a scary thing when you're a dad and, and uh this same nurse daughter of mine, I've watched them in Kaiser take two to three hours in Richmond. I finally had to take her to Oakland, broke her wrist and her arm. And I'll tell you, it's a hard assignment watching them cry about seven years old and wait and watch that doctor <coughs> put it back. But guess what? The arm's no longer deformed. Who sets the bone? Who helps the fallen brother? Who helps restore them? Could you? Would you? Where do you start? And he's saying, get in there, be willing to put them back together and make them whole. And he says something that's interesting here, uh, how you ought to restore them. Have you ever been critical of the bedside manners of a doctor? I met some guys that ought to be working in the zoo. They had no bedside manner. They just, pure medicine, boom, see you later, we'll bill you. Yeah, we know you'll do that. Boy, what a difference when there's a different touch. And he says, do this in the spirit of meekness. You see that? Uh, restore in a spirit of meekness or gentleness. They're used interchangeably. 
and I looked this word up because when I hear the word meek, I think of the word weak. But it's not that way. Same word. They're translated interchangeably. Meek, weak. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Same word. Gentle. And I looked at, I wanted to get a handle on this word and listen to how it's defined. I, just these, this is the way we ought to help people. Uh, it was used of mild things. Mild. They used it of taming animals. A tame animal was said to be a gentle or a meek animal. It had been trained. You can't ride the horse until it's been tamed. Uh, it was used of mild wine. It was mellow and mild. Uh, several things. It was used of uh, mild and gentleness that look like friendliness. That when you're doing this, there is a mild manner, a friendly manner, uh, non-scary, and in the midst of it, he warns us, while you're fixing people, be sure you don't get proud because you're subject to temptation the same way they are. You see that? Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. I hope you've never said, I'll never do that. You've never done that, have you? I know people that have, and guess what? They've done that. Because uh, God hates pride. And you in a weak moment, it's amazing what you're able to do. Think of Esau. Who would ever sell his birthright? A hungry man in the right context. And I ask a fallen preacher that lost a 3,000-member church over 15 minutes of sex with the wrong woman. I ask him, why did you do it? You'd been there for years. You had a great ministry. Why? I was a young preacher asked, why did you do it? He said, I traded my birthright for a bowl of soup. I made the trade. I was a fool. And he paid for it the rest of his life besides losing the church. What heartbreak. A saved man, a good man, a man that had an outstanding ministry. By the way, would you ever have a good word for a fallen preacher? I know some people, if it's a brother up here, if they fell, they write him off forever. They're a crook. They're this. How about saying they're weak and they succumb? It wasn't right. But do they deserve the same amount of restoration as we want to give you? Ask yourself, because, boy, uh, there's not many folks I know, if it's a preacher, they have any patience with. Wait, when did we quit being tempted? That's kind of, now you're afraid. You all want to run out. I know, good night, you may do it. I would if it wasn't for the grace of God and the Holy Spirit and some encouraging saints. We're weak, we're vulnerable people. 
Let us not be critical of each other's failings. Let us not be critical of each other's failings. Can you take that? If you were a grace believer, not a legalist, if you were a spirit-filled believer, you'd have the gumption and the spirit that would restore without endorsing. We're not endorsing the sin. We're restoring. We're not saying it's good to break your bone. We're saying we'll set it if you do. That's what he's saying. Then he goes on to say, bear one another's burdens. I know that's your favorite verse. And so fulfill the law of Christ. The only law of Christ I can think of is love one another. It's the only law that I, he says in the Gospels, that the love fulfills all the law demanded. So let the love of Christ be at work in us, and one of its evidences is that we help bear one another's loads. Uh, what kind of loads in life should we help people uh, with? Well, let's, let's just take for sure medically. I mean, what's the big fight in our country, whether it's Obamacare or your medical insurance, whatever? I know that I'll need help to maintain this body. I'll need help. I'll need help if I get cancer. I'll need help if I develop this problem. I'll, I need help physically. I'm very concerned that my family, I'll pay enough premium that my children, that my wife can get help. I can't help them when they're sick. So we just assume that. Did you know the two-thirds world doesn't have medical insurance? Did you know in the two-thirds world that they get toothaches and there's no one there to pull the tooth or to give a shot of Novocaine? They actually get sick in the two-thirds world. Did you watch Jimmy Carter, the special that he's gone throughout the world ever since he quit being the president, fighting, I forget, I think it's the guinea worm that uh, you get through drinking uh, infected water, drinking water where animals have defecated and all kinds of disease because they don't have a treatment plant. Boy, we're so spoiled. We think everybody lives like we do. No, they don't. Two-thirds don't. Where do they go when they're sick? The cemetery or a witch doctor. We take for granted because of our opulence and our prosperity, I get access to a doctor. After five surgeries since I was 53, I'm going to tell you, I need medicine. When I was, had my back operated, had a triple fusion that was in Oakland Kaiser, and on the night shift, I got the young bloods. They were too, more busy putting a lip lock on nurses than they were helping me. And see, at my, my window, I, it was like a mirror. And I've come out from this surgery. I'm sick. The only thing between me and help was a buzzer if I had the strength to get it. But the shift was young, and the night, night shift is the scariest for the patient. Will they be awake? Well, I saw all these young people. In this one area, they were just cutting up with each other and 
doing more courting than medicine. Finally, a guy answered, came to me. I'll tell you what really looked good, what really looked good. The next morning, they put me in the orthopedic ward with a black sister from Oakland named Phyllis. Every time I go to the Oakland Kaiser, I look Phyllis up to plant one on her because I named her Angel. She knew how to take care of me. She was sympathetic. She was kind. Her face just, I said, you look like an angel to me, Phyllis. That crew up there weren't interested, but you know what you're doing. And my own daughter got her also wonderful nurse. Man, we don't thank God enough for great medicine, great nurses, and great people that help you get you well. That's one instance. Uh, let me give you some. I'll just name these. Uh, you know, I never thought of it before, but guess what? Jesus needed help carrying the cross. And they recruited a man by the name of Simon from Cyrene. I often thought, would I have helped him on that day? One of the black spirituals my family grew up with, must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? No, there's a cross for everyone and there's a cross for me. actually helped Jesus because he'd gone all night without rest, had six trials, had been beaten to a pulp, had bled severely, and and Simon's two sons show up in Romans 16. Two of his boys came to faith. What about uh, widows and orphans that James said, true religion is to care for people who can't help themselves. Widows, they didn't have social security. They didn't have welfare. In Palestine, if you were a widow, you could most likely starve to death. And he said, your religion ought to have room to encompass people that can't help themselves. Maybe so poor, poverty. See, our country's a long ways from a depression of the 30s. But my own people were helped by other church people. They were fed. They were helped. It, it just, uh, we help through our agape fund. We don't push the agape fund, but every year you people give about $60,000 a year that we dispense to people. Now, it's, it's humiliating to be broke. It's humiliating not to be able to pay the rent. It's humiliating to have to go to the doctor and you can't pay for your kid's help. You, about $60,000 unsolicited on our offering envelope. It says there, agape. That is $60,000 unbudgeted. We don't give it out if it doesn't come in, but you've been giving it for over 40 years because we don't want to lose a sensitivity to poor people and people that don't have the money. Uh, People that lack Clothing and food. James said, if you claim to have faith and you see a brother in need of clothing, and none of us hardly see that. We don't want to see it. We stay away from it. And they're lacking food. And you say, I've got great faith, and you don't help him. James questions our faith. 
Faith is willing to get involved. Uh, he says here in, in chapter 6, 6, help those that instruct others in the Word. Because in the early church, they had itinerary teachers, and their support was primarily uh, from the love of the saints. Pastors, most pastors in the New Testament were never supported. Uh, they just, they didn't. They had the right to be, but the people as a whole weren't able to support them very much. Uh, I think of the uh, Matthew 7 that we often use in a negative way. Uh, it, if your brother has a speck in his eye, you should be able to take it out, right? I can't hear you. Really, what it is, Jesus uses it to say, now, if you've got a log in your eye, and it's a humorous illustration, if your problem is bigger than the one you're trying to help, don't go into eye surgery. You're not qualified. But the ideal, have you ever gone to the eye doctor and you wanted somebody with good vision to work on your eyes? Anybody had cataract surgery? LASIK surgery? Yeah. Uh, I hope they have good vision. Uh, and I hope the doctor has a good brain when he's working on my brain. And he's really saying there, if you've got a bigger problem, a, a big log, don't be worrying about getting specks out of other people's eyes. You need to deal with your issues that are bigger. But the idea would be that your eye is whole. And even if a brother's got a speck, whatever, you could help, but you'd have to be whole. And these people who are doing the restoring, he said, they're humble, the people of the Spirit, the people that have a gentle manner about them, and they're willing to get involved. And they're not full of uh, unforgiveness, grudges, grievances, mad at everyone. No, 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 no. Please don't work on me. I want somebody that's well to work on me. Not arrogant, not, not uh, conceited, but I want someone that I view as a person of the Spirit. That God could use you to bring restoration to me. We ought to be bearing one another's burdens, but we have to be healthy ourselves to do it. And I think of other things. Um, we ought to, he said in Romans 15:1. We ought to bear with the infirmities of the weak. And the weak there are weak believers that stumble and get offended over everything. Some believers are easily offended over liberty issues. Can you go to a movie? Can you not? Uh, can you drink wine? Not. All these issues that Christians differ, different cultures, different backgrounds. And he said, hey, if you're a strong believer... You ought to help that weaker brother in knowledge, and, and they have all these scru uh, scruples. Uh, help them. Don't run them down for their ignorance. Help them. Bear their infirmity with them. Paul even gave up a lot of rights to help people that didn't believe in them. Would you? Uh, I think uh, of so many other instances uh, what about uh, helping people in hard times? I think of uh, Jesus in Gethsemane. I'm always moved by that 
There's only two things he wanted from the disciples. Two things. Would you pray with me and would you stay with me without going to sleep? And uh, I, I must say, I've been with a lot of different widows, either after the death, during the death, or before the death of their loved ones. Who wants to come close in death? I meant to see a man last week, had to do taxes and everything else on Monday, couldn't get there, thought I'd go on Tuesday. By the time I got there, he had gone home to be with the Lord. Thank God for our deacons who got there. Do you show up when people are in the midst of the trial of death? Do you show up at that time? Uh, it's an amazing thing. I, I think of ways we can bear one another burdens. I just want to give you some simple uh, illustrations that uh, I'll never forget. Uh, I remember when we were taking care of Carolyn's brother, who was dying of uh, brain cancer. I uh, lived with us for 22 months before he died. And uh, we were out in the foyer uh, when the donut and coffee thing was over this way in the warmer months. And uh, for some reason, Carol and I were talking. I believe it was us two, or she was talking with someone, and Richard Armstrong heard it. And uh, because we had to take him, him being a vet, we had to take him to Travis Air Force Base uh, every day for chemo. This was going to go on for something like, 10 weeks. And Carolyn just said, I got to figure out this. She was working at the church at the time. How are we going to do this? How are we going to, and uh, just talking. And all of a sudden, Richard Armstrong said, well, well, have you told the deacons about this? Said to me. I said, no, this is a family matter. This isn't a church matter. He said, well, when did the pastor's home quit, become a private matter? We care. Pastor, do you care if I ask some men to help? Bob Kennedy. Uh, Ernie, back here. Andy. Different men that I don't even know. They were set up on a routine. One would take one day. One would take another day. Another day. They took that man for his chemo for over 10 weeks a man that was anti-evangelical, a man who'd gone into a gay lifestyle, and a man who was witnessed to every day and was finally led to Christ in this church by the kindness of God's people. Now, kindness. Now, that's not too hard. Just one day, drive to Travis, wait till he has chemo, bring him home. But they bore a great burden in our household, just helping a dying man. You see, there's some people I see, they never see any needs, and some days I'm drowning. I see so many. I'm wondering who's going to meet them. Who's going to meet them? I can't be everywhere at the same time. Can't be every place. And I ask, are there any burden bearers? Uh, I think of our choir. They do some remarkable stuff. We just had a, 
a, a woman in our church had her third child. Uh, no one to wait on her. No husband. Uh, the choir set up, and Dolores Wiley was feeding her, taking her meals. The choir just bought her baby, this stuff, that stuff. Another gal they were rescuing out of a life of prostitution, had four children. The Lottie Baudieres took the four boys, trained them, fed them, housed them. And while the mama was coming out of drugs and prostitution, is it worth it? Or do you just want them when they're clean? Doesn't matter. You don't have to be that down on luck and that far into sin to need someone carry the burden that you may be carrying. A good word, according to Proverbs, is that a good word lifts anxiety from the heart. It's great. I, I, just, I, I wrote that verse down. I was looking at it this morning. I'll give you the verse. It's 1225. 1225. A good word lifts anxiety. Let me ask you this. Are you a person that plants good words in people that are burdened? Just a good word. It won't cost you a dime. Do you have a good word? You ought to think about it. I wouldn't come to church without a verse if I were you. I learned it from my dad. He said, never go to church without a verse to give to a child of God. Just to encourage them. Is that one of your missions being here today? How many people did you plan to encourage today? He said, well, that's what we pay you to do. I'm not the whole body. He said, you, us, the body, ought to bear one another's burdens, right? One another's burdens. Uh, on and on. Uh, I could wear you out telling you the stories of people who have borne the burdens I want to close finally and say the person who bears the burdens the most is our God. He said in Isaiah, he carried all of our transgressions. He bore all of our penalty. See, one thing you can't do for a person, you cannot carry their sins because you can't forgive them. You can't enable them to overcome this sin. Only their God can do that. And he said, call on me and I will forgive. Call on me and I'll lift the anxiety. Call on me. Now, you can't make them call on the Lord. You can't make them do that. But we can always remind them that the Lord Jesus has borne our transgressions, borne our sin, and I've got a great message for a burdened world, a lost world, a world where nobody seems to care at times. Our God, in the person of Jesus Christ came to bear the penalty and the load of sin that you can never pay. And when you come to Christ, you find this incredible load shifting off your back. Uh, when I first met Carolyn, she used to play. I, I'd sometimes come up to their house and she'd be play, playing the piano. And she always played this song. It's old. It's simple. Real simple. Let me just give you the words. I still see her playing it. Days are filled with sorrow and care. Hearts are lonely and drear. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Jesus is very near. 
Cast your care on Jesus today. Leave your worry and fear. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Jesus is very near. Isn't that simple? Troubled soul, the Savior can see every heartache and tear. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. Jesus is very near. Oh, I love this song, Our Great Savior. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. Friends may fail me, foes assail me. He, my Savior, makes me whole. Then that marvelous chorus, hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Saving, helping, keeping, loving. He is with me to the end. I'm no longer bearing the load of sin. I do not bear my sins. I put my trust in the sin bearer. I don't carry anxiety any longer than crying on the Lord because it's a sin for the Christian to worry. He says, when I am afraid, I will trust. I will trust and not be afraid. Psalm 55. Isn't that amazing? He says, when I am afraid, I will trust. Then he just turns right around. He says, I will trust in you and not be afraid. You have the choice to worry or pray. So we worry as long as we don't pray. He can't make you call on him. And you don't have to carry the load of sin. And if you're here without Christ, the load of sin, if you think it's heavy now, you can't imagine what it will be in eternity. It never gets lighter. It gets heavier until it grinds you, as it were, into nothing. But Christ said, I will bear your transgressions. I will bear your sins. And the Father will transfer all the weight of it as, if, as though I were a scapegoat. And you can escape, and he alone will pay for it. This is our gospel. I don't know why we can't give it away. I don't know what keeps people from taking it. How long do you want to live under the weight and the burden of your sins and face eternity with God and say, I never would trust your son to bear my weight of sin. But this is the gospel. God has sent his son to bear a weight you cannot bear. Only Christ can bear it. And he wiped it away. We've been called to bear one another. Christ has borne us. Christ has given us his spirit. And he's given us a new commandment. I am telling you, love one another. And part of that loving will bear their burdens as you're able, as you can. A good word, maybe a garment, maybe food, uh, maybe to be with them in the sorrow of life. Maybe a loved one's died. It's lonely vigil. Would you be willing to be near? Would you be willing to be near? Our Father, we're so thankful we found a sin bearer in Jesus. And we don't have to bear our sins. For he came as your perfect substitute to bear our sins. And I thank you, Father, for those believers throughout my own pilgrimage who have come along and helped me bear the load, took a hold of the opposite end of the log, as it were, 
the opposite end of a problem, whether financial or spiritual, maybe even health, that I couldn't bear by myself. And you brought a brother or a sister that said, we want to help you bear it. We don't want to criticize you. We don't want to say, well, why did you get in that problem? They just come to help me bear the burden. Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our cares, all our burdens to bear. Father, if there's anyone here that's never taken Christ as their Savior and ask Him to take charge, and they still live under the weight and the guilt of their sins and the haunting question, I'm not prepared to meet God. Are you ready? Are you ready to face God? Are you ready for the last breath? God never meant us to carry that load. Once we've heard of his gospel, may we trust Christ, the real burden bearer. May we trust him.